Well, good morning. One of the most exciting things we're starting our new series called Sacred Intersections. Our summer testimony series is actually our most popular series throughout the every single year. If you listen to, if you look at our podcast number, our YouTube numbers, our summer testimony series always gets the biggest hits because it makes church personal. It comes to a place where we actually get to hear the stories of church. It highlights so many of us that are part of Five Stones. And, it, and as we invite them to come up to share their story, it is a time where every single testimony that is shared here is a witness of God's work in the church. These testimonies are to encourage others that may be going through similar situations. It's to give hope and to give en- en- encouragement. So this year we've called our summer series Sacred Intersection is to capture the stories in which God disrupts and intervenes in our lives. It, it is the help and the hope that God gives. It is the grace and the kindness that God shares. It is the moments in which we know that God saved me or God helped me or God rescued me. This summer we're going to have eight testimonies and We're going to be starting off with uh, Jenny Tan, who is uh, Pastor Andrew's wife. Uh, Jenny and Andrew have joined us uh, starting last fall and became members with us. But I really wanted to start with Jenny because Jenny uh, is just this person that all of us have probably seen and around because she's so friendly and warm and welcome, and and she's kind of everybody's best friend. Uh, But I wanted her to share her story and what what, uh, has led her to this place. Uh, but before we go into that, actually, this com- this coming summer, we're actually gonna there's gonna be a very unique uh, Sunday where we're actually gonna have the middle schoolers come up and share as well. They're all gonna be standing here and giving their testimony. And so, actually, throughout the summer, we've canceled trek, and all the middle schoolers are actually gonna be part of the the service, uh, and they're gonna learn how to be in our service as they're growing up and as they're growing into um, uh, into being young, young people, young, young men and women of faith. And so we want to train up, train them up as well. And so, but before we get into that, let's pray. And now uh, we're going to get into our, our series here. Father God, we come to you and we give you all our worship and we give you all the glory. So today as we come before you, you, Lord, as, as we preach from your word, we stand as witnesses of your, just your great love. Lord, I pray for your spirit to come and help us understand more of what you're doing in our lives, more of how you move and more of your grace, mercy, and your love. So Lord, we ask for your peace to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we live in a fast-paced society, right? A society in which we're constantly being bombarded with information. Our access and exposure to what is around us is constantly demanding our attention. And it contributes to the feelings of being overwhelmed, the social pressures, the expectations of how we live. It makes us feel as we can never gain or ever be fulfilled enough. What it begins to do, it, it, it heightens our feelings of inadequacies, and it reinforces low self-esteem, and a lot, all of these things lead us to a place of being very anxious. You see, anxiety is one of the most common disorders, according to the American Psychiatric Association. Unfortunately, no one seems to have the exact answer as to why anxiety is so common. We can attribute things like poor sleep habits, diet, social media, even genetic dispositions. But there's not enough data out there to say these are the reasons as to why anxiety is so common. It's so common that oftentimes a lot of us that carry anxiety, we just feel like we just need to get through it by ourselves. But yet, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's a reminder and an encouragement for us to do this, to cast off our worries, our fears, our burdens to God because he cares. 
And so today we have a testimony from Jenny Chan. So I'm going to ask Jenny to come on up. And Jenny's going to come and share her story. I'm not going to ruin it. So Jenny, why don't you just come on up? Um, thank you for the introduction, John. Um, he introduced it very well. So um, I'll just go straight into it. And I, my testimony is to share with you how uh, Christ freed me from my anxiety. Now, some people tell me I'm very calm and steady under pressure. I don't lose my cool at work despite challenging situations. I told Andrew about this, and he laughed. <laughs> because he knew what I was really like. At work or in social situations, I'm always able to keep calm and, uh, on, on the outside. I know how to put on a good front. But when I'm alone, that's when the demons come out. Now, I like order. I'm organized. I like organization. Uh, though sometimes my house doesn't show that, but I'm also pragmatic. I'm not a risk taker, and I like to be prepared. Some people thrive under pressure. I don't. In school, when other students would burn the midnight oil to complete the paper before the paper is due, mine would be finished a day or two before. Hours before an exam, I'll be sick to the stomach, and I'll be going to the bathroom constantly. This stress and pressure paralyzes me. I'm fearful of failure. I think that started during my high school days. In Malaysia, we had several standardized examinations, and the last one I sat for was in grade 11. There were eight to nine exams. Now, this was really, really hard for me. The pressure to succeed and with flying colors was, was just, uh, just really, really difficult. Um, I still had nightmares about those years after I was done school. I would have dreams where I found myself completely unprepared on the day before the exam. It's always the same feeling, you know, that I would fail. I would not be able to get to university. I would bring shame to myself, and my life was doomed. And just a side note, so you all understand how differently Andrew and I responded to the exam results. In, in, in those times, we were measured by grades one to four. Grade one being the best, and grade, fail, uh, grade four was a fail. I received a great one, and Andrew got a great three. I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying that. Um, <laughs> I was depressed with mine because I did not get enough uh, distinctions that I was hoping for. And Andrew was laughing all the way. He was so happy. He celebrated. <laughs> so that's the difference between us. In life, I would push myself hard, and when the results were not favorable, I would put myself down for these failures and unaccomplished goals. I would beat myself up over and over again. Um, I, believe, I, I believe falsely that I could control everything if I just worked hard enough, and then things would go smoothly. And I believe these, these false beliefs and misconceptions started my journey into anxiety. Anxiety likely began quite innocuously. I started to worry about things like most people do. I worry about my studies, my future, my, 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 uh, my children, my finances, my parents, my siblings, my job, my relationships. I thought worrying was natural. It, it showed that you cared or were concerned. But the list of things I started to worry about grew and grew. Some things went away and there were good outcomes, but some remained and stayed for a long time. Some things I had no answers to, no solutions, and no plan. Some things terrified me, things I knew could affect my future and that of my family, like finances and stability. I started to dread, to fret, to worry more, and to be more and more anxious, and one day I had a panic attack. I felt powerless, and I had no control over it, and I could foresee negative things happening. A panic attack is said to occur when the, fight, uh, the flight or fight response is triggered, but there is no danger about to happen. I started hyperventilating. My heart was pounding. I was sweating. I felt lightheaded, and I was sick to my stomach. Now, in my job, I had to be prepared for the worst-case scenario and know how to manage these high-risk situations. So inadvertently, I applied that to my own life, and I took it to the next level. As there, were, and as there were more and more things to worry about, the ruminations began and the catastrophizing began. Now, ruminations are just 
repetitive thinking or dwelling on negative feelings and, and distress and their causes and consequences. It just goes over and over and over again. This caused me a lot of sleepless nights. My mind would, would often race with these negative thoughts. I could barely pray as these negative thoughts would crowd up my prayers and reasonable thinking. I'll give you an example of, um, of this. There was a recent health scare. My blood pressure shot through the roof. My systolic pressure was 200, and the normal would be about, uh, should be below 120. So I know something about hypertension. I don't know everything. I know something about it due to my training before as a nurse and currently working in healthcare. I knew the dangers of the risks and the complications if there was a delay. And there was a delay from the time that I became aware of my, my high blood pressure to the time of actual diagnosis and treatment. Um, I knew that this delay could cause, um, I would be at risk for damage. Uh, my organs and blood vessels are put at risk. And I'm anticipating that the next time my blood pressure skyrockets, I'll suffer a stroke. But I won't just die, you know, I'll just get one-sided neglect and, uh, and then I'm thinking, will I be strong enough to handle this? Will my family be able to handle this, you know, with me being maybe stuck in bed and, and they, they having to provide all the care? What happens if I have a stroke while driving and I'm on the bridge and I hold up traffic and then every driver is going to curse me for causing another major traffic hold up? And then I would start to tell my family and my friends, you know, what to look for, you know, uh, for signs of stroke. You've all seen it on television, F-A-S-T, you know, facial drooping, arm weakness, slurred speech, and time, all right, get me to the hospital first, call 911. So I would laugh as I tell this to my family and my friends, but I'm actually scared. So you can see I was just spiraling down the rabbit hole. Now I have seen for myself how crippling anxiety can be. I saw firsthand how devastating it can be. It robbed people of their joy. It wrecked their lives. I saw in those close to me and those how they were bound by these chains of, of anxiety and just spiraling into destruction. My own joy that God had given me was seemed to be eroding away as my negative thoughts took over my mind. I said I was a believer. I, I love God, and yet here I am, being exhausted from this constant rumination and, and just being unhappy. I just could not stop these thoughts. Every moment that I was not preoccupied with work or with a task would be filled with these thoughts. Finally, one day in desperation, I cried out to God because I did not want this to keep going on because it was overcrowding my mind, my heart, my life. And I told him how helpless I was against these thoughts. I thought of John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it to the full. And I was not experiencing this fullness of life. I felt that thief, that anxiety was stealing my joy. And all I could do was to cry out and pray. I also remember reading Mark chapter 9. And I was just like the father in the story, asking Jesus to heal his son who was possessed by a spirit and threw him into convulsions, into water and even fire, trying to kill him. His disciples could not drive the spirit out of him, so the father asked Jesus, and he said, but if you can do anything, just take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus drove the spirit out of him and brought him back to life. And one thing I noticed is that God did not, Jesus did not rebuke the father for his unbelief. And I was like that father. I believe in Jesus, and I needed God to help me overcome my unbelief. That was my cry of desperation and of help, for help, I mean. I knew Jesus could set me free from my anxiety, but I also recognized my own weakness, my unbelief, and my doubts. More scriptures came to my mind, and, and that of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, uh, verse 6, sorry. It says, do not be anxious about anything, 
but in every situation by prayer and petition for thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I held on to this. I memorized it. I meditated on this. Every time the anxiety started to build, I prayed, I meditated, and I asked for prayer, and I confessed my unbelief. At night, when these thoughts crept back into my mind again, I just kept crying to God, God, help me. And something slowly changed. My mind slowly cleared, and I could feel the peace of God descended on me. My mind became emptied of the constant ruminations, the spiraling down the rabbit hole. When the worry and anxiety was gone, I could feel an empty space in my head. It was wonderfully strange, light, and freeing. And I didn't want to fill it anymore with my negative thoughts. And I asked myself, what should I fill it with then? Another scripture came to mind, that of Philippians 4, 8. And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I started filling my mind with either songs or praise or scripture and things that are noble and pure and beautiful and redemptive. I felt a little stupid when I realized that all the scriptures from Philippians float together one after another. I used to read verse 6 and 7 separately, you know, the part that says, do not be anxious about anything, and in everything, in prayer, just bring it before God, and, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in, in Christ Jesus. And then I stopped there. <laughs> but I needed to keep on reading to with verse 8, which says, finally, brothers and sisters, feel, you know, think about these things that are true and noble. And so it was like a, I mean, it was right there in my Bible, and I read it, but I, for some reason, I split them up. So anxiety and worrying takes up a lot of negative energy and time and can be all-consuming, which has no positive outcome, except to make one feel worse. It doesn't change the situation or the circumstances, and I end up feeling worse than before. I actually become kind of a horrible person to live with. I think my family can attest to that, because I end up putting pressure on on people around me, um, as I feel like I, I try to change the situation, I think I can do it, but I know I can't. I began to accept that I needed to let go of trying to control the situation and the circumstance that I was anxious about. I began to acknowledge that I really don't have any control whatsoever. For me, the question was whether I could put my trust in God. I knew I could. And I wanted to, but at times I had doubts. I had unbelief. And I had to confess my unbelief repeatedly. I memorized scriptures. I read them over and over again. And I counted my negative thoughts with scriptures. And I prayed for help. Being freed from anxiety did not mean my problems and issues went away. I didn't have all the answers yet. And I also have learned that I might not have those answers for a while. But the God of peace assures me that even without those answers, I can go on and keep my joy. He has said he will be with me, and I don't want anyone now or anything to rob me of this joy that God gives. There are still situations and circumstances that trigger me this worry and anxiety, like job situations, family problems, political unrest, wars, disasters, climate change, and recently, even AI. If there's something I can do to change it, then I know I can, I'll work at it, and I'll, I'll, I'll do my best at it. But if I cannot change it, I have learned to bring it to God in prayer, and I leave it there. I let him know I'm leaving it there at his feet. I'm not taking them back, because I don't want these ruminations to come back again or, or to start catastrophizing. Jesus responds, responded to the anxiety of his disciples on the night before his crucifixion by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus continues to comfort them, and in verse 27 he says, peace I leave with you, 
my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. My hope is that we all can have this peace of God that surpasses all understanding and the knowledge that the God of peace will be with us. This peace of God is the antithesis of anxiety. Thank you, Jenny, for that. Anxiety is a universal human experience. <laughs> this morning, as we were getting ready for church, um, my daughter decides to throw a fit. It, it happens every Sunday for some reason. Those with little kids probably see this. As we get ready for church, it's almost like something has to happen to slow us down to get out of church, right? It always happens. And she decides to throw a fit. It, it makes me anxious. It makes my, my wife anxious. It makes Judah anxious. It makes everybody anxious. And I'm just like, you want to just leave her at home? <laughs> just leave her at home. She'll be fine. We'll go to church. We'll come back. She'll let her calm down. Of course, we don't do that. And we, we, we come and we, we help her and we try to move her along through that. But that's the thing is that anxiety is something that we all go through, right? Anxiety is something that we all recognize and not all anxiety is bad, okay? Not all anxiety is bad. Actually, some anxiety is actually good for us. It actually helps us feel alive. It actually helps us come to that place of pushing through and learning and growing in our anxiety. For example, I know that for a lot of our singles here in our church, the anxiety of, of finding someone, right? Or even that anxiety of going on your first date. Like, what do I wear? What would that person think of me? It's like, am I making a good first impression? Those are all little spaces of anxiety. So not all anxiety is bad. However, when anxiety becomes crippling, that's when anxiety becomes a disorder. It becomes a disorder in, lives, in our lives because it begins to disrupt the way that we function and disrupt the way that we, that we move and behave. Anxiety is an opponent that seeks to rob us of our peace and it hinders our walk with God. When we become slaves to anxiety, it begins to take away trust and it begins to fill it with unbelief. You see, trust and anxiety are contrasting emotions in our state, in our state of mind, right? Trust is a belief in the reliability, the honesty, or the ability of someone or something, whereas anxiety comes from a sense of unease, fear, and worry. Trust gives us confidence because we believe that someone or something will help us work it out. Anxiety, on the other hand, becomes, comes because we lack control or that we're uncertain of our future outcomes. Trust gives us security, comfort, and a peace of mind, whereas anxiety leads us to fear, restlessness, and apprehension. Trust allows us to take risk and be vulnerable, but anxiety is skeptical, cautious, and anticipates negative income, uh, outcomes. So without trust, anxiety begins to fill in the blanks of our lives. If we fear failure, we, f we, we desire control, if we believe that if we work hard enough and control every aspect of our lives, we can avoid failures and disappointments. But this pursuit of control only adds to anxiety and we are feeling, we are left feeling unfulfilled and we are left feeling exhausted. But here's what scripture tells us. In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 it says, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, trusting in God is surrendering 
our need for control. It's about relying on God and, and, and knowing that God will guide us. Trusting is letting go of control to find peace. And scripture says that there's peace beyond our understanding. As Jenny spoke in her testimony today, Jenny found herself worrying about everything. Her studies, her relationships, her futures. And in ways she thought it was natural and thought it was normal, it began to erode her joy and her peace. Her anxiety caused her to spiral in her thoughts, going to the worst case scenarios. And this is what anxiety does. It brings us to a place of catastrophic thinking where our thoughts overwhelm us with negativity. But I love where Jenny took her story. Where in the story of Mark, where the father begs Jesus to help his son, and re in response to Jesus' statement of everything is possible for those who believe, The father's response was, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe that's such a profound statement because unbelief can creep into our lives so easily and we don't even know that it's there. Because unbelief never hits us in a place of the existence of God. Although sometimes it causes us to doubt but unbelief usually comes to the places of our disappointment. It robs us from our life with Jesus and it begins to isolate us. What is beautiful about this statement is in this moment of transparency and honesty that the Father invites God's intervention. That it he humbles himself to a place where he's allowing himself to grow in faith. We all have places in our, in our journey, in our lives, where unbelief sits, right? Where we don't trust that God has that place in, under his hand. Where we don't trust that God knows our deepest cry. That it, it's not an unbelief of we don't believe that God exists. We don't believe that God is good. We don't believe that God has love and mercy and kindness extended to us. But we have unbelief in the place where we don't trust that God has this in his hand. That we don't believe that God is able to do this. That we don't believe that God is able to take this aspect. It's so small I could handle it myself. You know? You know those places where we say, God cares about the big things in my life, but the little things, I need to figure that out. I need to work that out by myself. And then we sit in this place where it begins to build and it begins to build and it begins to build. And all of a sudden, we're sitting in this place where we spiraled so far down, we don't even know what caused it anymore. Unbelief could rest in you even though you have faith in Jesus. This is not a matter of faith. It's a matter of do we trust in God? Do we trust in God with everything in our lives? Do we trust that God has, every, has a hold on every aspect, that he sees all of our struggles, that he sees all of our needs, that he sees everything about you. And God says, I want to give you everything. I want to help you out in everything of your life. Even in the places where you think it's an insignificant, I want to help you. Why? Because God wants us to understand what trusting in him looks like. That to trust in God requires us to give absolutely everything to him. That to trust in God means that we surrender everything. Why? So that peace could come in. So that clarity could come in.
Jenny brought up this verse, Philippians 4, 6 to 8. He says, do not be anxious about everything, about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your right request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think of such things. That verse 8 is where we need to be. But before we get to that place, it says, do not be anxious. It's not so simple to not be anxious. I'm sure Jenny could tell you that it's not so simple. That as she told her story, that it's not something that happened overnight. It's not something that happened in a, in a, in a matter of a year, but this is a lifetime for her. That this is a, a life lesson that she's learning and continues to learn. That this isn't something that is just a struggle in the past, but it's a, it's a, it, it continu continues to be a part of her life, but she just knows where to go now. It's not so simple to not be anxious. Actually, when we think about not being anxious, it makes us, what, more anxious, right? When we're trying to not be anxious, it actually causes us to, be, to have anxiety over our anxiety, that I'm anxious because I am anxious. But what does it say next? It says, but by every, in every section, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. So it says to present your request to God. So that when we're anxious, we come to God and say, God, we are anxious in this place. This is a moment of that honesty of help me overcome my unbelief in this room. I don't have trust in this place. I don't trust that you will take control of this moment in my life, and therefore I am anxious. And this is a moment that we, we petition to God, we pray to God and say, God, help me overcome my unbelief. That it is in this place that I don't trust you, it is this place that I fear, in this place that I cannot overcome. So help me. Because this is the promise that God gives us. That the peace of God will come and he will guard your heart and mind. That's the Holy Spirit helping us. Right? It comes in to guard our heart and it guards our mind. Sometimes we can't guard our own heart and we can't guard our own mind. And can't we, it, it's hard for us to even expect somebody to come to that place when we can't even do it ourselves. But God says, I want to do it for you. I want to guard your heart. I want to guard your mind. I want to come into that space and give you peace. Peace that you've never experienced. Peace that is beyond your understanding. Peace that will be lasting and will be something where you could stand on. Peace to know that I am there. Peace to know that you do not have to fear for I am with you. It means that we can face our fears. It means that we can face our failures. But it doesn't only mean that we could face it, it means that we could welcome it. That we welcome because we trust that God can use our failure and use our fear. That when we are uncertain of our future, that we can be certain of the one that finds our path. That we can have certainty in the one that leads us and guides us. That's what guarding our heart and mind is about. It's not about the outcome, but how we go through the outcomes. That we trust that God is going to walk out his plan in our lives when we come to him. And then finally, when we get to that place, then whatever is true, 
noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. We could think about these things. That we remind ourselves of these truths, the goodness of God, that we fill those spaces of anxiety with the truths of God, that we fill those places of anxiety with what God has to give us. Church, I believe that anxiety is a pandemic that has not been called a pandemic. All of us in our society today <coughs> deal with anxiety. Anxiety is heightened in our culture. It's heightened in, in the way we live. It's heightened because of technology. It's heightened because of the access of what we have. All of these are good things, but this information that we receive on a constant basis actually overload and overwhelm our minds. It comes to a place where we, we are unable to rest. You know, so many, we fill, we fill our kids' lives with so many activities, you know what I mean? Like, summer's here. As parents, every single parent is like, what the heck are we going to do with our kids? They're at home. We have to actually take care of them now, <laughs> right? So we start signing them up for camps and signing up for these things, this and that, those things. Like, we signed up our kids for soccer camp and for, for swimming. And it's great. I think it's good for them to go to those things. And we, 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 we start filling up their schedules. In some ways, I mean, it's like we fill up their schedules, but then we get anxious because now we have to juggle their schedule with our schedule, and it just becomes this mess. Right? But why do all these psychologists always talk about how it's good for kids to be bored? Oftentimes we feel like we need to keep our kids engaged and keep our kids in this place where, where um, if they're, they're not doing something, they're not productive. But time and time again, we hear these people talking about how it's good for your kid to be bored. Why? Because it actually causes them to use their imaginations. It causes them to think uh, beyond what, they, what they're experiencing right now. It causes them to start using their mind in a different way. Right? It's easy for us to throw the tablet at them. It's, it's so tempting to throw the tablet at them. Right? Because the tablet gives me 30 minutes of, of, of like not needing to take care of them. But it's, it's, it's good for them to be bored. It's good for them to actually start playing on their own and figuring out what it means to, to, to get out of that boredom. But that's also true for us as people. We need to let our mind and our, and our, and our, our place rest. We need to get to those places where we're scheduling time where we don't have anything planned. Because we live in a very fast-paced world, Right? Technology uh, has given us to live in this fast-paced world. Technology also doesn't allow you to rest, right? We have these things in our pockets that 20 years ago, these didn't exist, right? Some of you young people are like, what? These didn't exist? Yes, these did not exist, okay? <laughs> when we left the house, nobody could reach you, <coughs> Right? That when you left work, work cannot reach you. But now these things mean that I bring work around with me 24-7. It means that anybody can reach me at any given time, that I am constantly checking my, my emails, and if I don't respond in an appropriate time, people are like, what are you doing? I'm the worst at responding at texts. Actually, I'm, I'm really bad at responding on anything. And people get frustrated with me because of the fact that I'm not responding right away. But we used to live in a time when we didn't respond right away. For those that are older, remember those times? That we actually had to wait? It was slow. But I believe those days we were less anxious because we didn't have to worry about all of these other things. 
that when we drive home, it's about driving home. That when we get into the house, it's about getting into the house. It's not about, I need to go check my email and respond to whoever is trying to beckon me. But there was an answering machine that we used, and we allowed the answering machine to sit there until we listened to it. That we didn't have text messages being coming to, to ping you. There was one day I had so many text messages coming in from everybody. That's all of you. <laughs> you may have think, thought, oh, I, don't, I just sent Pastor John one. But when 200 people sent Pastor John one, that's 200 texts coming in. I felt so, I, don't, I felt so uneasy. But that's what happens to our minds. We, we get to those places, and some of you guys at your work probably feel this, the, the pressures of work. Or maybe even the pressures of family. That we have to respond right away. As pastor, I'm going to tell you guys to schedule in times where you don't have your phones with you. Where you're taking it a little slow. And that you don't have to respond to things. I'm giving you permission. Don't respond to things. Let them, let them fret a little bit. Okay? Your boss could probably have use, use, use a break. Try not responding for one day. You might, don't get fired for anything. <laughs> but I want us to take those moments of rest, those moments of pause, those moments of just slowing ourselves down so that we could begin to speak in things that are noble, things that are true, things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that give us peace. Because we live in a world that there's no peace. You turn on the news, everything is catastrophic, right? You turn on the news and everything is just bombarding you with negativity. That there's so many things wrong with this world and yes, there are. I mean, when Jenny mentioned AI, that's, that's all we talk about in our staff meeting. That AI is taking over the world and that one day we're going to be living like the Terminator where they come in and say, humanity is the worst thing for the world and therefore all humanity should not exist. Or we're living in Matrix where all human bodies are just batteries and cells. No? No, this is a new revelation for you guys. Guys, be scared of AI is taking over your jobs. But we could sit there and just worry about those things or we could sit there and be like, okay, God, what are you teaching us in this moment? How do I take the worries of my life and put, fulfill, take those worries and say, how do we bring trust into this? Just to summarize Jenny's testimony, we do this by coming to God through prayer and we seek God's wisdom in it. But in those, those places of anxiety that we actually go to God first, that instead of allowing ourselves to spiral, allowing ourselves to go to those places of catastrophic thinking, we come to God in prayer and we seek God's wisdom in it. The second thing we do is that we begin to replace our anxious thoughts with truth and affirmation from Scripture. that we begin to meditate and memorize these truths. That's, when, that's why me memorization of scripture is good for you. It allows you to, to pull up truths and, and promises of God without you needing to look for it. It allows you to sit in those places of anxiety but know that these are the promises of God for us. That I don't have to be anxious, that I can cast my cares upon God. Third is to bring a community around us that will help you and that will support you. That we're able to 
to, to sit in this place with our church and say, church, help me. Help me get through this. Anxiety wants to isolate us because we, always, we often feel that we need to go through anxiety by ourselves. But what's harder is to actually bring our community around us. It's actually very hard to do that. It's not easy. And then fourth, we need to cultivate a heart that counts our blessings and that God's goodness and his provisions are there for us. It's speaking those things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable into our situation. And lastly, it's to rest in the knowledge of God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That we may see anxiety as a weakness, but to know that God's strength is there in our weakness. God invites us to give him your anxiety daily. He says, lean on me to find refuge. Trust in God's faithfulness and experience the peace that he brings. Fix your mind on his presence, on things that are noble, true, right, pure, lovely, and excellent. And remember that we have a God and a Father who cares deeply for us. God gave us a freedom to walk in. He set his path for us. So let's walk in that freedom that comes from trusting in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for just your encouragement today through Jenny. We thank you for her testimony and her witness. We thank you for her journey of trusting in you. And Lord, as a church, may we take just what Jenny learned in her life and we start applying those things to our own lives. Lord, that we as a church could come before you and say, Lord, here's all our anxieties. That we are able to cast it upon you because we know that you care. That we are able to give it to you because we know that you will give us a peace that is beyond our understanding. And Lord, that you will lay out a path for us to walk. So Lord, in those places of anxiety, we ask that you help us overcome the unbelief and where we don't trust you and walking this out together with you. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John and my wife, Jenny, for sharing this morning. And uh, you know what I hear uh, through, through the message is rest. Rest. In, in our rough weeks in our rough days, rest. Rest in God. Rest in God's love. And you know what? That was the original design of the universe. God made the world. When he made the world, he said, what? He said, to us who are made in his image on the sixth day, he said it was very good. And then he'd invite us to do what in the next day? Rest. <laughs> day of rest. And I trust that you will hear God telling all of us, inviting us to enjoy him. Enjoy rest. Pastor John talked about take the day off or whatever, right? Schedule a day off. Schedule it. Uh, make sure we do that and uh, don't get fired. By <laughs> but I think that's was in the original design of how we were made to find rest, to find our, our hope, our joy in God again. It's amazing in the original context when, in Genesis when it was written, right? Genesis chapter 1 telling us about we we're made in an image of God and on the sixth day, I mean, tells us to rest the next day on the seventh day. In the original context, it was written to a whole bunch of slaves, right? And, uh, and slaves who would say, rest? What? I don't understand that because we were made to work. We were, we were Egyptian slaves and we were, we, we were to work our butts off every day. 
and die working. And God, through Moses, reminds us we were made for that special relationship with God to find our rest, our trust, our rest in God in our anxiety-filled days. And none of us are immune to that. So today I ask that uh, you would take note of what was shared this morning to find rest, to find trust again in God's Word, to get God's Word in your heart, in your life, and, uh, and let it be the thing that would be ruminating in your heart and in your life. Let us pray. Father God, <clears throat> I'm amazed at your and how you made us. You, you made us to be in your image, to be rulers, to be like you. To reflect you, to be in your image, to reflect you. And boy, do we fail at that. We fail to reflect you. We fail so much. Help us, as we have heard this morning, to when we have that unbelief creeping in, Help us to be able to find that we can come to you, to trust you with all of our hearts, to trust you, and not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, submit to you, acknowledge you, and you will direct our paths. And we trust you, God. Forgive us when we have, we have uh, let the negative things of the world, all of our anxious thoughts, all of our, all of our failures, let those things define us instead of you. Help us to refine our definition in you now. Help us to find the truth that will set us free. Help us find you, Jesus. Help us find that you invite us to rest, that you invite us for that relationship of the seventh day where a, a day that will never end, an everlasting day of finding rest in you. So Jesus, we give our hearts to you and I ask that you would bless our, our hearts with this new knowledge that we can find our rest, that we were made for rest. We were made to trust you. We were made to have a relationship with you. We were made to have no anxiety but to enjoy. Enjoy your love, enjoy your grace, enjoy your, all that you provide for us. We were never made to be slaves. We were never made to be... To be uh, have our, our, our hearts be filled with anxiety. We were made to be joyful, trusting in you. And I pray that we would come back to you, find at rest again, schedule a day off, finding you, trusting in you. So Jesus, <coughs> I pray for the God of hope to fill us with all power, that we'll be overflowing with hope and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. amen.